We're going to jump in. We've been in the book of Acts, and uh, I, I really love the book of Acts. It, it does something to me as I'm reading it. I, and this week I had a, a lot of time to really sit and soak on this passage. And every time I read this passage in the book of Acts, it, it causes something in me to burn. Like just, like, I, I mean, like there's like this ache and this long for what I see in the book of Acts. And, and I hope you have that same thing too. I, I, I really do. I, I don't want us to go about business as usual I don't want that. I don't think you want that. What we want is we want to be a church that looks exactly like Jesus wants the church to look. We want to be his bride. It's this phenomenal thing. When I look at it and we read the verses today, it makes sense to me when I read these verses why the church was a global explosion. Like This makes sense because of what happened. It, It wasn't their influence. They had no influence. They had no power. They had no money. I mean, they had nothing. They, they, they were an unprotected group, this religious little thing that popped up. They had 120 people that didn't know what they were doing. Their leader was a homeless Jewish rabbi that got on the wrong side of the religious influence people and got executed 50 days earlier. Like, they got nothing, man. <laughs> they got nothing. And, and they show up on the scene, and it just explodes. And, and last week we saw one of the reasons why it exploded. It wasn't their plan. It wasn't their education. It wasn't their experience. It was the Spirit coming and filling these men and women of God. And it just, I mean, it exploded on the scene and out of the gate. I'm talking like out of the gate. 3,000 people get saved? Are you kidding me? Like, and not like... Not like Baptist numbers. You know Baptist numbers, right? Like there's one person comes and has a conversation and you're like, there were like 30 people that got saved. It was amazing. And like not those kind of numbers. We're talking like 3,000 for real, like legitimate people who had a real encounter with the good news of Jesus Christ and their whole life flips upside down. And what, what you see happen Man, I mean, you're going to get a picture of this. Let me show you what happens there. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Here's, here's what happens there. So Peter gets up. You know, they have this encounter with the Spirit. He preaches this sermon, which isn't even that good. Can I be honest? Are you all okay with that? If you don't believe me, read it and see if you're burning on the inside. Like, oh, man, I need to have an invitation right now. Like, his sermon was just kind of so-so. It wasn't his words. It wasn't his argument. It was the power of the Spirit. And it explodes. And here's what happens. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I can't, even, I can't even fathom this encounter. I mean, just picture it. 120 of us in a room. Oh, that's maybe a little bit less than this right here. And something happens. And we spill out into the streets. And... People all of a sudden start gathering around, and I preach a really bad sermon that's not that good. No illustrations, not a single cute story, not even a joke. Just straight directly to the point, Jesus was God, and you killed him, and you better repent. And they're like, deal, I will take that. And then all of a sudden, now we're walking up here baptizing 3,000 people? Can, Can you imagine that? Like that's... There's no manipulation, there's no games, there's nothing. It's just straight the power of God fell down on these people. And and the church explodes. And listen, when I see what we're about to see today, I I need to 
brace you for something. You got 3,000 people. They have no plan. None. Uh, you just need to know that. They, they got leadership issues. They don't even know how they're doing that. They have no idea what a church is. They got no building. They got no band. None. They don't have a choir. They don't have an orchestra with lyres and flutes or whatever else they had back in the day. They, they got nothing, man. They don't have a screen. They don't even have the New Testament. They got the Old they got the old Testament, and they probably don't even have all of it. Not every single one of them have a copy of it in their home. They have little scrolls. Like they, they, they got nothing, man. They got nothing. There's no Sunday school curriculum. There's no Christian bookstore so they're going to go buy anything. There's literally 3,000 people going, well, we know Jesus, and we know tradition, and we know the Old Testament, and we think we got this thing called the Spirit. Like, now what? Like, what, what happens next and what you're about to see from my perspective, what they naturally and automatically did, what the Spirit led this group to do was totally against the culture of the day. It was totally brand new. It was totally powerful. It was not programmed. It was authentic. It was this amazing, like this, this amazing thing that, that is just, it's phenomenal to me. And, and before I move on, I, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing today. Today, I'm going to show you what that first church looked like, and I'm going to force us to take a look at what church looks like for us today. And we're going to look at those two side by side. And I'm going to be honest, it's going to be uncomfortable. Are you all used to uncomfortable with me by now? No, I feel like I'm doing this all the time. Like, you look at what the Bible says, and you look at what we do. And you, you got to ask the questions. Why the difference? Well, why does it seem so foreign to to what I've ever known or experienced. Why is what they're about to do for church the exact opposite of anything I've ever experienced in the church world? Yeah, I, I gotta ask it, and I gotta have all of us ask that exact question, because here's what I believe. I, I believe when the Spirit does a work, you want this. I think you're gonna want this. And if you don't want it, you need to do serious business with God and figure out why. Because as we read this, some of you are going to be like, oh man, I want that. And others you are going to be like, I don't ever want that. And if you don't ever want it, there's a problem. Like, can we just, I, I need to go ahead and say that. I know that's really bad news. But if you don't want what we read today, there is a problem with your wanter or your heart. We'll just use a normal word. There's a problem. And I don't want you to rush through and ignore that problem. You need Jesus to do a work in your heart. And not only that, but this is going to feel so impossible that you need G we need Jesus to help us do something like this. And, and I want to say one last thing before I move on. Here's what I believe about the church. I believe the church, the, the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. Uh, I believe that the church is a display for each of us together and for everyone out in that city, we display who Jesus is and what his good news is. We, we put it on display. I, I don't mean we tell them with our words. I mean, when we actually encounter the real living Jesus, we believe he's big and strong and gracious and kind and patient. We believe he really died on the cross and came back to life three days later. Those beliefs translate into actions. And the church is the gospel in action in front of everyone for everyone to see. 
And so what the early church had was they had the good news. And the good news changed the way they lived. They, they took the good news of Jesus and they translated it into where they interacted with one another. That, that's our job, church. When it says we're the body, it means we, we put the gospel on display. So what were they displaying? Well, let me show you. Let me re- I'm going to read all the verses and we're going to go back and walk through them one, one bit at a time. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves. They get saved right out of the gate. 3,000 of them. They get baptized. It says this, and they devoted themselves to a few things, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, also translated, and every day, every single day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, or every day, those who were being saved. This is, listen, this is radical. Like, do you, do you see the radical nature of what you just read? I don't know what things stood out to you, but it, there's a few that stood out to me. I mean, the, the very first thing that stood out to me is I, I sat down and I, I looked at that word devoted. Like, the first thing I see is that these people were seriously devoted. The Greek word there is actually proskotereo or something like that. Just, it's a big, long word. Here's, the, here's what it means. It means to persevere, to stick to it, to be committed to something despite the difficulties. Right, so, in other words, it's not just, hey, I'm, I'm committed to attending this gathering once a week. It means they're literally connecting and tying themselves to this group, no matter how difficult or hard it is. It's perseverance. That they are literally saying, this is not easy. This is not just fun for me, even though it is fun and it felt like it gave them joy. Like, what they're saying is, it was not easy to flip your life upside down, and they were committed they were dedicated. They, they were digging into this thing, this new thing of following Jesus, this thing that they didn't even have a word for yet called the church. Like They were in. They were all in. Here's what you need to think of. You need to think of things like um, travel ball or, or club sports. Y- y'all know that world, right? Like, I mean, how serious are we about travel ball and club sports? Like, it, it, if you've got a kid that's in travel ball or club sports, you are traveling all the time. I mean, like, all the time. You have practice all the time. You've got games all the time. You have parent meetings and emails all the time. Like, and it's not just like a little bit of travel. Like, I, I met someone the other week. They traveled, they were traveling from, like, Indiana, and they were coming all the way down to the middle of Florida for softball. Like, listen, That's serious. When you've got a 13-year-old and you're so committed to softball that you will travel for a weekend tournament. Like you need to think about this. Like that's like that's for real commitment, right? When it says they're dedicated, that's what they mean. We know dedicated. You know it. The question is, do we know it with the church? But let me move on. Because it's not just they're just dedicated to showing up to an event. They're not just 
committed to their pastor. They're not just saying, well, I gotta, I've got responsibilities. It's not that type of dedicated. This is like an all-in, I'm all out for this thing. I'm okay if my entire identity is wrapped up in being in this group, being in Jesus, being a follower of Jesus. And they got four things they're devoted to. Look at the first one. It says this in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Like, listen, here's what they're doing. They're saying, listen, I want, I want to know the teaching of Jesus. Like these apostles, they walked with Jesus. They heard him teach for three years. I want that. I want them to explain to me how the Old Testament points to Jesus. And here's what it means. That means every single day they showed up and they wanted to hear the teaching. They they hungered for the word of God. Like it was like this insatiable appetite. Like where they just, like I got to have it. It's like that thirst you've got. Like where you're just like, man, I just, I got to drink more of that drink. I need it. I'm longing for it. It, it. it shows this hunger they have to know God, that they've tasted him, that he's good. They, they just got to get more and more and more and more. It's never enough. Every time they read it, they, their hearts burn and they want more. And they want it over and over and over again. I, I don't know if you've ever been thirsty. Have you ever seen the power of thirst in someone before? I uh, when I was right out of college, I, I helped with a church plant, and we were at a brand new camp. And the, the camp director um, was a marketing genius. I don't know how else to describe it. He had come from the banking world and left that to help start this Christian camp. And um, we're out there in the middle of Georgia. It's hot as death outside. And we've just done this game where we're just running laps. And so all, we're all just, I mean, dripping sweat. It's like 100 degrees out. Like, and we're just, we're dying. If you've ever experienced camp before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever experienced two-a-days in football, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, and these kids are dying. And so the camp, you see this idea just pop on, like, bing, I'm going to open the snack shop, the air-conditioned snack shop that has so much Coke and all these, like, sodas. Like, they're in the fridges and they're ice cold. And literally, I'm telling you, so he just... We were, the, we were a small camp, so we ran the snack shop. We knew it was scheduled. He goes, new plan, get ready to open the snack shop. So he tells these kids, these poor, innocent kids who are thirsty, and their parents have sent them to camp with 20 bucks for the week. Like he goes, hey, you're all thirsty? And then he starts talk, describing this ice-cold Coca-Cola. You can actually picture the... Like the thing you see at the movies, like he verbally described, I could picture the beads of water coming off an ice cold bottle of Coca-Cola. And then he opened up the snack shop and it was like a bunch of hungry piranhas begging to spend their money. And they were walking out with Powerades. I mean, like three or four drinks, these little eight-year-olds, they, like they're pounding sugar two bottles at a time. Like they lost their brain. And what was driving that? Thirst. You're thirsty enough. Listen, you put that picture of an ice cold Coke. Some of you are thirsty right now. I don't even know. Like, you get thirsty enough, bro, your wallet, your money comes down, dude. You, you throw it down. And you can find a Coke anywhere in the world with that picture of the water coming off the side. Like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And they had that kind of thirst for God and his word. Man, I, that's serious. And it makes me wonder. I have to ask this question. When was the last time you had hunger for God and his word? Like I'm talking about like that insatiable appetite where it was like, I just, I got to have it. 
I got to hear it. I got to read it. I got to study it. I, I just want to know him. I want to hear from him. I want to encounter him. I, just, I want just a drop of him today. When was the last time you hungered like that? When was the last time that you were just aching? You couldn't get enough. You're like, I, I, I can't believe I didn't read my Bible yesterday. There, there wouldn't be a day. You're getting up with this hunger for him. You're longing for him. Man, so somehow it, I fear at times that what we've done at the church is we've replaced a hunger for him for just listening to the word or fulfilling an obligation. This was not religious duty from these people. They devoted to the word because they were hungry to know what Jesus said, what God wanted, to know what he was like, to know more about this good news. They, they hungered for it. Man, what's a church look like that's full of people who are hungry for God? I, I know what a church looks like to have people who are bored with God. Um, I know what that looks like. I know what it looks like to see people who are there because they just feel guilty if they don't show up. I know what that looks like. I know what it looks like for pastors to have to play games with people because they know the word's not enough because the appetite's not there. So I mask your lack of hunger by doing backflips on the stage and pulling whatever stunt I got to do, right? You've, you've seen that before, right? Like, I mask your hunger, so I've got to have a good illustration. I, I mask your lack of desire, so... I gotta dress cool. I gotta create something trendy, as if, as if God and His Word aren't enough. All they had, they, they had no gimmicks. They just had the Word, man, and just the Old Testament and that, and a bunch of uneducated fishermen saying, "I think I remember what Jesus said about this." Let me tell you about the Sermon on the Mount. They just ate it up, man. When, when the Spirit moves in a church, when the Spirit moves in your heart. It creates hunger. Uh, it, it doesn't create obligation. It creates hunger. And they were there every single day saying, give me more of that. Man, it's awesome. But they're committed to something else too. This was radical. In verse 42 it says, they devoted us to the apostles' teaching and this phrase, the fellowship. Going to give you another Greek word. Because apparently this is Greek Sunday. I don't know. It's a Greek word called koinonia. It, it means partnership or sharing. It's, uh, it, sometimes it was used in business ventures. But, but in this type of thing, it, it's saying they, they became committed to this close-knit type of family thing. Like, don't hear they were committed to potlucks. Don't hear they were committed to fellowship events. I'm afraid that's very Baptist, right? We're going to have a fellowship. Listen, I love a good potluck. I like eating, okay? I love fried chicken. I would love to eat fried chicken. The thing that my staff joke with me, I'm always saying, let's give everyone hot dogs. Let's get together and give hot dogs. They're cheap. Like, I love hot dogs. I will eat hot dogs all the time, but only Oscar Mayer because they're the best. All right? Like, I love hot dogs, and I have scientific proof that Oscar Mayer is one of the top two hot dogs in the world. Anyways, I, I'm not going to get into that right now. Don't hear potlucks. Don't, don't hear they're committed to fellowship events. They're committed to each other. They're, they're committed to this. They're not committed to Sunday school. They're not committed to small groups. They're committed to this. You and me. 
the people next to you. They're all in, not just for God and his word, but for the people, for relationship, for deep, real, authentic, and just the most radical community you can ever possibly experience. And and this type of love for one another, you see it fleshed out later in in there. You saw that radical thing in verse, was it 44? Yeah, here's here's how that koinonia, that committed to being together, that partnership, that close family relationship fleshed itself out. Just one of the ways. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things, and they got this word, in common. That word is like koinonia. It's almost the same exact word, just a noun form of it. It's, they had everything in common. They, they looked at each other and said, you're actually like my immediate family. So much so that they looked at their stuff, just like I would look at my stuff for my kids or for my brother or for my sister or for my wife. And they said, you know what? Like I will, I will leverage my stuff to meet your needs. Can you imagine this? Like, and don't, don't think communism and socialism. This wasn't forced on them. It wasn't required. In the day back then, they would have these groups that to be part of the group, you had to take all your stuff, sell it, give it to the leaders, and move away in their little compound. This wasn't forced. It wasn't required. We'll see that later, that they were, they were free to keep it or to give it. But they decided they would look at the people next to them and say, man, they got a need. They got a serious need, and I got stuff. Just like I would if my wife got sick and I need to pay a medical bill. I'm selling everything, right? There was a treatment my wife needed. I'm selling my car. I'm selling my house. I'm downsizing. I'm I'm not selling my kids. We're keeping them. But I'm selling everything else to get my wife the treatment she needs. My kids are sick. My kids have a need. My kids actually, they have a need where they... Need shoes or clothes or food. They're not eating. Not they need more McDonald's. They need real food. My kids have a need. Dude, I'm, I'm doing what it takes to get my kids' needs met. We know that, right? But it spreads out. This is crazy. It spreads out to the church. Now, now I actually think, church, uh, I think we have generous hearts. I think if you see a need, I think y'all don't, you throw, your, you throw the wallet down. You're like, I'm in. Like, I've seen you do that with things like Woodlands Camp. I've seen you, I've seen you do it over and over and over again. You see a need for, like, a missionary? Y'all are, y'all are dumping money. Love it. Here's what blows my mind about this. When I read this, here's the thing that stood out to me. I, I thought, what's it like to be in the church and actually share your real need with the people next to you? See, I don't think we have a problem being generous, but when I pictured someone in the church being in close relationship and saying, I got to be honest, I don't know how I'm making ends meet next month. Or like a real, like a for real, like a need that you, I, I think we don't actually share that. I think we show up at church and we've learned how to say, I show up here as the person that has it together. I don't show up as the person that has needs. I don't want to look weak. I don't want to be messy. I don't want to be looked down on by the people next to me. So we hide it. We, we hide. We, we suffer on the inside. And my, I'm not just talking about financial needs. Like, right, like when, when your marriage gets rocky, that ain't coming out in church until, uh-oh, that just happened in Sunday school. What's been good, right? 
Like, you, you don't bring that out until you're ready to leave. And when it comes out, we, church people hit the road. Because I can't be dignified anymore. I can't be respected anymore. Like, I'm afraid of what they're going to think about me. Think about the type of commitment to relationship, the type of trust that happens when you're sitting there saying, I'm messy. I, my marriage is on the rocks. My kids have lost their ebon living brain. And I think it's my fault. I'm about to lose my job or whatever it is. And you show up and you actually feel like the people you want to share it with are the people sitting in this room. And you're not afraid that when you share it, they're going to go, good grief. That dude is never going to be a deacon. Like, you share and you know it's just like talking to your mom or your dad and they say, how can I help? And they might have to be honest. Hey, you, you blew it. You need to fix it. That's not bad. But, but they're coming not in a judgmental tone that wants to beat you down, but a tone of grace and love and acceptance that says, I love you regardless of your whatever's going on with you. And guess what? I've got things going on with me too. Can you, can you imagine church like that? Like, let me explain this. Not a small pocket of church, normal church. Listen, man, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. But, but they're sitting here saying, man, I'm committed to the relationship. I mean, I'm all in. These people are my family. But that, that kind of church, but you, that's not a program. That's a heart. It doesn't matter what program you throw at that heart. It turns it into deep relationship. I can throw small groups at your house. I can throw Sunday. I can throw whatever program we need. I just give you a room and you turn into these relators. I don't even need a building. They don't even need a building for this. Because what they do next, I mean, come on now. Like, this is even... Like, if you think sharing your needs is wild, this next one blows my mind more than that. Because I've, I've actually been with people that they wanted to hang out. And they wanted to be friends. And, and they wanted to share life together. I, I've been with groups that want to do that. And it's, it's awesome. But this next one, <laughs> this next one blows my brain. They're not just devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They says this, to the breaking of bread. <laughs> like, it, you you get a little bit of this in verse 46. It says this, and day by day or every day, they're attending the temple together, probably hearing the word, and then what do they do? They, they get together in the temple, and they're breaking bread in their homes. So if I'm hearing this right, the plan was all 3,000 of us are showing up every single day. We're listening to the apostles teach, and then afterward, we talk about it, we hang out, and then we all, literally, the plan is, whose house are we going to? Like, they're, they're spreading out, and there's no one's house that can hold 3,000 people. Like, that just, there is none of those dudes in the church, right? Uh, there's none of those dudes anywhere. Um, like, that, that, that ain't happening. They're spreading out in, not the pastor's home or the 12 apostles' homes. That's a lot of homes, man. That, that's a, if, if your household's 10, 
I need you to do the math real quick. That's 300 people every single day open up their house and like I'm just I'm, I'm trying to fathom this and there's no Publix there's no ordering pizza you you make it from scratch so it costs you time it costs imagine your grocery bill now what happens is every single night you're having people over like come on can I get a little me time here <laughs> like I, listen to, if I, I'm telling you right now, if I told my wife, babe, here's what we're doing. Every, we're going to church every day, and every day we're opening up our house every single day, and I don't know who's coming over. We just, we're throwing hot dogs at them. That's my thing, <laughs> all right? Come to my house, we're getting hot dogs. Come on, and there's kids running around. Like, when we show up, you're having a meal together. Like, this is costly, you guys. It, it's, I know it's costly. I know that this is exhausting, and it? And I ask myself this question that I would want you to ask. When was the last time that we opened our homes to other people in the church? When was the last time we sat at a table and ate a meal? Not a big potluck. That's good. I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. That is not this. Like, imagine the church fights that are happening in this. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to picture what it's like when, these groups get together and my kid punches your kid in the face. Right? Like, or, or uh, your wife says something insulting to my wife about her belly because she's pregnant and now I, we got an issue, right? Like, like you do this, I, dude, I promise you there's going to be like this rub. Like, like, I might be able to get my act together one time. I can show up to church on Sunday one time a week. Here, removed, you're not in my house. My kids are tucked away downstairs in kids' ministry. You don't have to see the chaos that they unleash in the room, right? You can think I'm the best dad ever because you don't see my kids, right? You can think I'm the worst dad ever because you see my kids sometimes when they run around. Like, like picture, like, can you imagine the rub of having dinner every single day with people in the church? Man, even an extrovert's going to lose their brain over this one. Imagine the introverts in the room. They're like, hey, man, I just, I talked to three people today, and I'm exhausted. I just want to go read by myself. You're about to, you want me to do this every day? Like, I need the introverts to hear this. This is not a church of extroverts. This is a church of extroverts and introverts. This is extroverts who are learning to calm it down and go deep with a few people. And this is introverts who are getting this tight-knit community in a home. This is not a church of all extroverts. This is people from every walk of life. And I also need to hear this. It doesn't say that all the rich people are the ones that host. Hey, what, what do you, like, that's probably easier. Like, it's probably easier for the 300 people who are really wealthy, have big houses to say, come on over. But what's it look like for the field worker? That, man, he's kind of on welfare and he lives in a trailer, like, or he lives in government housing. And now this, this dude's about to step out. You're at the temple together. You hear the word. And, and this dude feels so comfortable in the relationship and the commitment and the lack of judgment so longing to be in relationship 
this husband and wife that have got nothing, they don't got a big spread to lay out. They start inviting people, rich people. They're not saying, I can't have a rich person in my house. It's too small, too crappy. I got, I got two chairs. We're going to sit on the dirt floor, and all I've got is some bread. This is people rich and poor opening their homes. Not saying, man, I'm too embarrassed to have you to my house. They're saying, I love you. Would you come over to my house? And the other person's saying, I love you. I would love to come to your house, but I don't care what it looks like. Do you, do you see the radical nature of this? See, that takes, this, the Spirit's got to do a work. And I got I to gotta be really loving, and I got to be really trusting in your love to do that. You got to. Right? But I'm telling you, they did that, and it's not just they had a meal together. It looks like they probably did communion every single time. Do you ever experience this? The, the chaos of trying to have communion around a dinner table with a bunch of people. Like, try doing that with kids. I, I remember the first time I tried this. Um, well, I did it when I was younger, in my 20s. No one had kids. It was awesome. Oh, let's do it again. And so at my last church, I had a, about 30 families come over. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, there were parents, kids, I mean, running around all over the place. And I said, we're going to have dinner, and then we're going to do communion. <laughs> like, listen, and all of us, all we had known for the last 15 years was the plate passing thing. You know what I'm talking We used to do that here, then corona hit, and now you get your little package you can't open. But that moment when, when it was all quiet and somber, and you pass the plates, and you've got a moment, and they're singing just as I am, and you're like, yeah, I mean, it's awesome, dude. You're having this, someone sings a solo and things are, whew, that was all good. Like, it was great. And the, the piano's playing quietly and you're like, ah, just me and Jesus, this is great. I love it, right? And you take the grape juice and you drink the little cup and it's just great and sterile. <laughs> so sterile, so perfect. And then you try to do it in a living room with real people, and real kids. Oh, my goodness. Like, you're almost like, did we just sin? I don't know. Like, that felt... The kids were talking. I couldn't get them to be quiet. And, like, this kid fell and cried. And this kid's fighting. And, no, that's not snack time. Give me that bread. Like, right? Like, why aren't they in little cups? What do I do? I don't have little cups at home that are that big. Like, we're actually pouring grape juice in paper cups. You're like, can I do this? Listen, that's what the church was doing. Man, they were there in this moment. They were saying, listen, we just, we love Jesus. We take a moment. And they say, here's why we're together. Because Jesus died for us. Just take a moment. We love that food and we love each other. But what we love more than food and parties is Jesus. Take a moment to remember he, his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for us. Like it's raw and it's real. And it's right there. Right where life happens all the time. It wasn't sterile. It wasn't pristine. It wasn't clean. It was really rough. But it was beautiful. It was powerful. I was like, man, I want to do that again. And then, like, imagine what it's like that every meal you have, you are actually remembering. And you're not just praying the same prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Pray you bless it to us. Bless our bodies. What's the, what's the Baptist phrase you're supposed to say? I don't even remember. I just lost it. Like, we know. It wasn't that prayer. It was like a real moment of, like, breaking bread, 
looking at each other face to face. And their kids are watching them. Every meal, they're watching their mom and dad have conversations about Jesus and watching them break the bread and say, man, I can't believe his body was broken for me. I can't believe his blood was shed for me. They're watching it every single day. They're watching the gospel lived out when their parents sell stuff and meet needs. They're watching the gospel lived out when people are at their house and they're saying, why, why are we doing this? And they're like, well, it's church. No, no, church is not the building we go to. Church is not the time we meet. Church is the people that we're with. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like their kids are seeing it. Listen, there's a reason why the church was powerful. It wasn't their building. It wasn't their program. The Spirit did a work that radically made these people worship God in everything they did and love the people next to them with this amazing grace and acceptance. Can't even fathom that. And then it says this other thing they're devoted to. They're devoted to the, the prayers. It, it's a crazy word there in verse 42. It, what it looks like is the Jews would, would have prayer times in the temple like three times a day. And so what they would do is they'd, early in the morning they would have this temple prayer thing. Then at 3 p.m. they'd have a temple prayer. And then sometime around sunset they'd have another temple prayer. And it looks like they were saying, dude, we're, we're going to go and we're going we're gonna to have real prayer together at the temple because they were still kind of acting Jewish at this point. And, and they're saying, we, just, we want real prayer because we, we know the real God. We, we want to pray. So they're showing up at the temple praying. They're, they're, and they're not just showing up at the temple to pray and doing the prayers at the temple. They're also praying in their homes with one another. They're constantly praying. Like you just see it over and over and over again in the book of Acts. You're going to see these people getting together. When an issue pops up, they pray. It's real and it's powerful. And they're saying, listen, we believe that God is real and that he hears. We have reason to pray. We have reason to worship. We don't need any bells and whistles. We've got the word. We've got the spirit. And we've got the church. And we don't need anything else. And the impact, I mean, every day people are getting saved. Did, does that seem shocking to you? That means there's unsaved people bumping into this all over the place. There's 3,000 people out speaking about the good news of Jesus and demonstrating it, displaying it with radical love, radical generosity. Man, I love this. I love it. And i got to be honest, I, I just painted a picture of the church. I, I believe it's an accurate picture of the church in its purest form. And I wonder what happened in you. I wonder what parts of you were like, yeah, oh man, I want that. And what other parts of you were like, oh, I don't ever want that. Listen, maybe you didn't want any of it. Maybe the thing that makes you feel comfortable is you're very comfortable with a church that's about tradition. Or you're comfortable with a church that's about politics. Or you're comfortable with a church that's about meeting. I really like us just meeting once a week. I don't want to know anyone. I don't want to be known. I don't mind giving some money, but I, I don't want someone to have to give money to me. Right? Like, I'm comfortable with people getting saved as long as I'm not involved in that process in a very hands-on way. 
man, I, somehow I feel like you, you've traded. I'm afraid somehow we've traded this real and powerful church for a very cheap imitation of the real thing. We've traded devotion for attendance. We've traded hunger for the word with just listening. We, we've substituted fellowship for like events. We, we've run from opening homes to just kind of setting up classrooms. We, prayer, man, no, we don't want to be exposed with our prayers. We don't want to pray out loud. We don't want to be a part of that. It's boring. It doesn't feel powerful. We'll settle for the rote, pharisaical, traditional Baptisty prayers. I, they're not written, but they're all the same. I mean, we'll settle for that. We, we change generosity for a tithe. We, we trade it daily for two times a month. be honest church that imitation isn't powerful and it's not beautiful and it doesn't require the spirit now I'm not saying we take these verses and literally rip them off and that's our new program I don't believe that's what they did I, what I am saying is this John Stott makes a statement um, or he made this statement not makes um, he made this statement where he said, he talked about a baby in bathwater, and he said, listen, some people, they see the church and they don't like it and they want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. He said, no, the, the baby's beautiful. The baby's the church. But, but our methods and our programs are the bathwater. And sometimes as culture shifts, you've got to change the bathwater. Which the question for us is this. Do you want that type of church that has radical love and crazy hunger for God and deep relationships? If so, don't, don't, don't throw the baby out. Maybe we need to change the bathwater. Maybe we need to change the way we do things. And you may not be able to, we, listen, I don't believe, maybe we can, maybe I'm being naive on this. But it feels scary to me to go, okay, here's what we're doing. From now on, I want immediately, you go now. Let me give you a baby step. If you want to go now, listen, run. You want to do this every day? Don't wreck your marriage. Don't wreck your family. You need to step into this in some type of way. But I'm saying, if you're freaked out by doing every day, can, can we do this? Can, can you say, I'm, I'm going to open up my home once in the next two weeks to someone? I know coronavirus, that, okay? Some of you are vulnerable. Just take a deep breath. The church has survived plagues and pandemics for 2,000 years. She'll be okay. I think you're fine. You're all here. Like, I'm looking at you. I think you're fine. Okay? Online people, just figure it out. Okay? Um, what I'm saying is, like, can you open up your home? Okay, maybe your home just, your brain just exploded when I said that. Because you went to, I got to be Martha Stewart. I can't do that. Okay, just, okay. Let's just get a meal at a restaurant. Can we start there? I'm not even saying you got to buy. Okay, go to McDonald's. Go to McDonald's. Maybe McDonald's freaks you out. Get coffee somewhere. Like, do something. Do a step across the aisle, not to someone who's just like you, but to someone who's just like you in Jesus. Open up your home, open up your table, open up your lives. Listen, get, can we start there? Again, let me give you something to talk about. Talk about the sermon. Talk about what you got out of the word. Find out their story. Tell about how you met Jesus. Tell about what's going on in your life. 
Like I can, th- those are three questions right there. You can talk about how stupid pastor was. I, I don't care, but get to the word. Talk about what, what burdened you, what was, what was tough for you. Talk about what you're getting out of the word and talk about each other's stories and what's going on. I mean, those three things right there, listen, you got plenty to talk about. And open up your heart and lives to one another. Can, can we take that first step? Take that, that very first step. And listen, I don't know what God will do with it. Some of you are saying, man, I'm, I'm totally out for that. Yeah. All right, when you're ready, come on in. <laughs> All right? But some of you, man, I think the Spirit's doing that work where it, you're longing for it. Who's the person he wants you to spend time with this week? Or, or maybe you can't do it this week. Maybe you're, you go home and talk with your family. Next Sunday at lunch, we don't know who, we're inviting someone. We're going to get lunch with someone next Sunday. I'm, you're already going to, where do y'all go, Sonny's? I got a Sonny's crew. I, I've got a Moe's crew, right? We got the Moe's people. We, we know kids eat free on Sundays at Moe's. We got a McAllister's crew. I don't know where everyone's hitting. I, I know I bump into y'all in restaurants. You're already going to lunch. Just go, go, in, go to chow time together. I don't care. Go get a buffet. Sorry, ladies. The guys are in for that one. You just need to know that, right? I, it doesn't matter. Just do something. And then I've got this other thing. Like, as I'm describing this, I got to say this. I do not want us to go in our own effort and produce that kind of activity. It's not the activity. It's not the activity. It's the heart behind the activity that matters. For some of you, man, you're hearing that, and you, you know how to do it every day, you, but there's a heart to be in relationship. Jesus is doing that in you. Just lean into the way he's calling you to do it right now. But my concern is for those who want nothing to do with that. Your hearts are hard. You're freaked out by that. Listen, don't, don't allow your experience with a cheap substitute to get you off the hook for the work that Jesus needs to do in your heart. Because you need a real experience with him that does something where you want to love and you want to be known. And you want to hunger for the word. And my other thing is this. For some of you here, you're hearing that and you've never seen the church like that. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Few of us have. But the way you've experienced the church, you've thrown Jesus out. Like, I don't want him. I I showed up here just as a Hail Mary here. Like, maybe I'm in for Jesus. Like, I want to tell you the good news. Here's the good news that this is supposed to display. God loves you. And in our brokenness, we rebelled against him, rejected his loving rule. And in an act of love and grace and mercy, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross He died on the cross for all of our sins. He came back to life and he offers to clean me and to give me relationship with him and to give me a new heart and relationship with other people. He offers that if I'll just place my trust in what Jesus did on the cross for me. And it's supposed to cause something radical in us. Man, the thing that's happening in some of your hearts today is you need to hear the good news and place your trust in Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that today. I'm going to guide us in a time of response. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Right now is the time for you to really wrestle with what God's doing in your heart. In a moment, we're going to sing a song that prays to Jesus. As we sing that song, these altars will be open. We'll have pastors and decision counselors down front. If you need to speak with someone, we'd love to talk with you. We can take you to a decision counsel room if you need to do that. Let me just ask, what what did Jesus do in your heart today? 
Did you feel him calling you towards real love? Maybe, maybe the thing you felt is when you've been in the routine of church, being the real church like that, and you long for it. Like, If God's called you to help me burn for it, would you just really ask him what's the step he wants you to do and do that this week? Invite someone over, get a meal, whatever. Obey him in that. Do you hunger for him? Maybe the thing stood out to you is when you haven't hungered for him in years. He's, he's quick to forgive. And he will sit with you as much as you want and let you feast on his goodness and his kindness. Maybe you've been hurt by people in the church so much that the thought of stepping back into trying to have a relationship feels like too much for you. Listen, I think I would call you to forgive by faith step out again. It's risky. But I think he's working. And for some of you, maybe the thing is, and you just feel like what you really need is you really need to place your trust in Jesus. Whatever he's called you to, obey him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I don't even know the ways that you'd be working in everyone's heart today, but, but I pray. God, would you make us a people like this? Would you do a gospel work in us where we would actually find out ways to display your good news to the people sitting next to us and to the city out north? God, help us to love each other. Help us to hunger for you. Help us to be worshipers of you. I, I pray you do this deep and strong work in us as a church that can only be explained by you and your goodness. And I pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to join me in standing. We're going to sing a song of praise to God again. If you need to do business with God, uh, you can come and pray down here. You can talk to